1: To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor.
2: And this is the scene in verse 4. The Lord sees the group of his enemies. They're coming into the garden. they got the lanterns and the weapons to arrest him. And he steps forth. He asks them a question. And then they give, who are you seeking? Who are you searching for? And then in verse 5, they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with him. Now, when the Lord responds with, I am, then the verse concludes by saying, Judas also was standing with them, which showed Judas' tragic decision, his tragic decision in verse 5. And Judas also, which portrayed him, stood with him. I mean, what a scene that is. I mean, there's two sides. Clearly, there's two sides in this garden. On one side stands the Lord with his disciples, and the other side stands the enemies of the Lord. And Judas there, he's got a choice, Judas, you can repent, you can go over to the Lord's side, but no, it says that Judas stood on the side of those who were his enemies. He chose to stand with the enemies. That's the way it is today. That's the way it is today. There is a choice to either stand with the Lord Jesus Christ or to stand against him. There's no middle ground. There is no middle ground. There's no no option to take no stand. It's either on the Lord's side or on the side of the enemies. And as soon as Jesus, as soon as the Lord says, I am, and by the way, you'll notice that it says, I am he, but you'll notice that he is in italics, which means that it's added, which indicates that the Lord only said the words, I am. When he said that, when he said, I am, right away, it goes back to Jehovah Jesus speaking to Moses at the burning bush. When Moses asked him, what is your name? In Exodus 3.14, Exodus 3.14, and God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. So here's a special title to be announced to the Jewish people, to the children of Israel, that God's name was I am. And that's the name that the Lord Jesus gave for himself when the men came to arrest him. And as soon as he says that, there's this strange recoil. Very strange. All of a sudden, in verse six, as soon as it said unto them, I am, they went backward and fell to the ground. What happened? What happened? Why did they fall to the ground? You know why it was? It was because for a moment, just a moment, they got a glimpse, just a glimpse of the glory of God the Son. For a moment, they could see what the disciples saw in a place called a mount of transfiguration, because there, at that, when it says that in Matthew 17, Matthew 17:2, 17, where it says he was transfigured before them, his face did shine as the sun, his raiment was as white as the light, and that's where the disciples got to see what was inside the Lord Jesus, which was glory, which was glory. How can we understand this? Just picture, for example, if you've been in sleep at night and it's dark. And you kind of get woken up and you, you see a little bit of light coming under the closet door and you realize, ah, oh, the light's left on at the closet door. And so you open the door and it's like, bam, it's so blinding. And then you immediately shut the door. What happened? For a moment, for a moment, you got a flash of a blinding light. That's what happened with them. The Lord's body is described as just a covering. It's just a covering of flesh that housed what John called In John 1.14, again, John tells us in 1.14, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Lord's body was just a housing. It was a housing for the glory of God, the glory of God's grace, the glory of God's truth. And when his captors heard the name I Am, they just saw the flash, just for a moment, of the brightness of that glory, and that flash knocked them backwards so that they became a heap of helpless flesh. Now, this is the first time the Lord has ever used this title. This was not the typical title that the Lord gave for himself. As a matter of fact, the Lord always called himself, you know what he always called himself? The Son of Man. He always called himself the Son of Man. And what he said about himself as the Son of Man In again, John 12 23, John 12 23, is he linked something with his being the Son of Man when he said, The Son of Man should be glorified. He linked glory with the Son of Man. He linked seeing the Son of Man with seeing his glory. And the Son of Man refers to his humility, his humility. So in his humility, John 12 23 is indicating to us, in his humility, his glory would be seen. And this is true of his life. In his humility as the son of man, he is arrested in this garden and his glory is seen by the captors who fall backwards when at the name of I am. This is the pattern in his life. In his humility as the son of man, his glory was seen. In his humility at his birth, and we're in Christmas time now, so this is, Think about this, in his humility, he lies as an infant in a manger and his glory is seen by a great multitude of angels outside announcing his birth and a star that guides men from a long distance to come and worship him. In his humility, he's baptized by John. John says, oh no, no, I can't do that. I can't baptize you. But in his humility, he's baptized by John and his glory is seen by God the Father speaking from heaven and saying, this is my beloved son. In his humility, he's weak and he craves water. He just craves a drink of water by a well. And what happens? His glory is seen as he gives to this woman, this sordid woman, the the water of eternal life. In his humility, He's totally exhausted as the Son of Man. He is exhausted, he goes to sleep on a fishing boat, and his glory is seen when he wakes up and he commands the sea to be still. In his humility, he's there at the tomb of Lazarus. Lazarus is dead, and he's weeping as the Son of Man. And he says to the sister of Lazarus, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. In his humility, he's weeping, and the glory of God is seen as with a command he calls Lazarus back to life. In his humility, he's sitting there in agony, absolute agony. He's sweating drops of blood in the garden. And what happens? In his humility, his glory is seen as angels from heaven come to minister to him. In his humility, he's going to be from this garden in a judgment of for capital crimes And his glory is seen when he announces he's coming back to judge all men. And in his greatest humility of all, as the Son of Man, his glory is seen when he dies on a cross in what appears to be a total defeat, and yet his glory is seen by an earthquake that happens that releases dead people out of the grave. They walk around, and it shows that in his death, he has achieved the greatest of all triumphs, the triumph over death. So here when they fall back at the name of I Am, we see the glory of the Messiah. Now, next we see, because they come here, with they barge into this, this garden with their lanterns and their weapons, and it says in verse four, he knows all things, and they've come to seize him, and then we realize it was John also, who recorded for us in John 8:59, John 8:59, of another time when also his enemies came at that time just kill him. And it says in John 8:59, then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple going through the midst of them and so passed by. So at that time he just walked by his enemies. They were trying to kill him, but he just he hid himself, he walked by them. Why? Why did he do that at that time? It wasn't the Passover. It wasn't the Passover and he was the Passover lamb to be killed on the Passover. He could have just walked by his enemies here in the garden like he did there in the temple. He could have just stepped right through them. He's after all walked through walls. He could have done that but instead he steps forward and he says I am and when he did this he in essence held out his hands and said arrest me that's what he did. That shows the willingness of him in his life and in his death, it's just one continuous voluntary surrender of himself for man's sins. Even at his birth, we see his willingness. Again, we're thinking about this in Christmas when he said in John 16, 28, John 16, 28, I came forth from the Father and am come into the world. Again, I leave the world and I go to the Father. When he said that, when he said, I came forth from the Father and had come into the world, he was saying that he, he wasn't born like we were. You know, we were, we, we didn't, we, no one asked us if we should be born or not. And we didn't have any choice about whether or not we should be born, but he did. He did. He willed by his own choice to be born. When we consider a babe in the manger, we should look at that and to say, that babe willed by his own choice to be born. He willed by his own choice to come into the world. The Bible says that in Hebrews 2.14. Hebrews 2.14 says, as much as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also likewise himself took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of the death, that is the devil. See, those words, he also himself likewise took part of the same, means that he willed with his choice to take part in becoming flesh and blood. You know, that's something for us to meditate on in Christmas time. And that was in his birth. And then in his life, the Bible says he made in Philippians 2, 7, Philippians 2, 7, he made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Those words, he took upon him the form of a servant, means that. He could have been any person he wanted to be on this earth, but he chose a servant. I'm going to become a servant. That was his choice. And then it says in Philippians 2.8, Philippians 2.8, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. See, these words, he humbled himself, they show us again. He chose to humble himself. And finally in his death, and finally in his death, when it came time for Judas to betray him, and we're gonna have communion, and typically always before communion, it always starts off on the night in which the Lord was betrayed. On that night, on the night that he was betrayed by Judas, it says in John 13, 27, John 13, 27, after the sob Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, that thou doest, do quickly. I mean, I want you to look at that and just think to yourself, That's the Lord commanding, do quickly. That's the Lord and master of death and life calling for Judas to do quickly as if the Lord is saying to death itself, come now, I'm ready for you to come and kill me. He has this dignity in commanding death to come. And as we trace his steps from this arrest in the garden all the way up to his death, we see that every step of the way, it's a voluntary decision by him. He's making his way to the cross, to his death. He's walking up the Via Della Rosa. He's carrying the cross where he's died. He's not walking because people pushed him and forced him to walk. He's walking because every step, he's made that conscious decision that he's gonna do this every step. He knows he can call legions of angels to stop and to destroy them all and to take Him out of the world, but no he's making this voluntary steps. And when he reaches the top of the hill, when he gets to the top of Mount Calvary, where the place of his execution is, and he sees the cross, his hands and feet did not have to be forced onto that wood. He wasn't flailing his hands and feet all around and saying, no, I don't want to do this. He lays his hands and feet on the wood so that they can drive the nails through him. So for him, his birth, his life, his death is all a matter of, this must be, I must, it's all necessary. Why was it necessary? It was necessary because of his love. And he describes his willingness to die in John ten seventeen. John ten seventeen, where he says, I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. When he says those words, I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again, you know what that means? That means that he himself determined the how, the when, the where he would die. And he himself determined the how, the when, the where he would be resurrected from the dead. Why? Because he's the Lord and master of death and life. And this is what we see in this passage, the willingness of the Messiah. But the best part for us is where it says in verse eight, Jesus answered, I have told you that I am. If therefore you seek me, let these go their way. When the Lord Jesus said, let these go, we see why he came. That's the whole purpose why he came to earth, so that he could say, let these go. And he dies on a cross so that he could say about us, let these go. And when we were held by chains of sin, and by the clutches of the devil, and worst of all, we're on death row, awaiting the execution. Our future was death, and what happens? He steps in between us, like he stepped in between the officers who came to arrest him in the garden, and the Lord Jesus Christ stood right between, he said, let these go, he stands right between us and the executioner, he said, let these go. And this is the whole thrust of Hosea 13.4, Hosea 13.4, where he says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. Just as the Lord Jesus stepped right in front of those disciples and the enemies, and he spoke to the enemies, that's exactly what we see the Lord Jesus doing. He stepped right in between us and death and he turns to death and he says, death, you have met your match. Death, I will take you on. Death, I will destroy you. And then he says, repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. He's saying that no matter how, how hard it looks, it looks no matter if I have to sweat drops of blood, no matter if I, on, on this, no matter if I suffer how much I will suffer physically, no matter how much I will suffer betrayal from those I trusted, no matter how much I will suffer being misunderstood, no matter how much I will suffer being forsaken by God, no matter what I will have to face, I am so committed to destroying you, death, that I will not and never turn back from this road. Repentance is hid from mine eyes. We were no match. We were no match for death and hell. When death and hell appeared on the battleground like Goliath appeared, we were like the Israelites. We ran. We ran away in fear, knowing we can't defeat him. We can't, but just like the Israelites needed a David to come out on the battlefield, we needed our David. And our David, the Lord Jesus did appear on the battlefield and he fought death and hell and he won. And just like Goliath was death and hell, our Lord Jesus defeated him. And because he did defeat death and hell for us, we're able to taunt death. We're able to taunt death, which is what Paul's doing. Say, Paul, what are you doing? He goes out in 1 Corinthians 15, 55. 1 Corinthians 15, 55, and he says, oh, death, where's thy sting? (laughs) Oh, grave, where's thy victory? Show it to me now. What's the best you got? And he says, no, I know, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be unto God who gave us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when the enemies appear in the garden, the Lord was not one second too late. He steps right there. Immediately, he jumps up to save his disciples from being captured, and he takes this position between them, the enemies, and his disciples to protect them. That's a scene that Job is talking about when it says in Job thirty three twenty four. 24, Job thirty three twenty four. 24. Then it says, he is gracious unto him and saith, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. I have found a ransom. It's just like the Lord is saying, wait, stop. I have a ransom, and I have what's needed to be able to let these go from the power of death in the grave. We need a ransom. We need a ransom. You and I need a ransom, and thank God. The Lord, just, the Lord Jesus says, I got a ransom. I got a ransom, Matthew 20, 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life, a ransom for many, Matthew 20, 28. That's the ransom that was found. That's the ransom, that's the death of the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, he becomes the ransom. He is the Messiah who has the title of Daniel nine twenty six. Daniel nine twenty six. he is, this is the title, Messiah be cut off but not for himself. That's his title, the Messiah be cut off but not for himself. He is the Messiah who died not for himself. He forgot himself, he sacrificed himself, he went to become the our ultimate shield from death. You know, as the great high priest, he enters into the, the Holy of Holies tabernacle in heaven, and not with the blood of animals, like Eric was saying, not with the blood of animals, but with his own blood, with his own blood, and with those, his own blood, he pleads the same words. He comes with his blood, and he said, let these go. Let these go. And when the question is raised, on what basis Shall we let them go? And then he presents his blood, and then all the mouths are stopped, and he said, oh, there's nothing we can say. He has justified the ungodly. And when he says these words in verse 8, you seek me, let these go, we see the Lord saying the same thing as Jehovah Jesus to Abraham in Genesis 15.1. Genesis 15.1, when he says, fear not, Abram, I am thy shield. Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield. That's what David called the Lord for all Israel when David prayed in Psalm fifty nine eleven, Psalm 59, 11, oh Lord, our shield. You know, what does a shield do? A shield stands in between danger and the protected one. And that's how we see the Lord here. When he says, you seek me, let these go, he's a shield. A shield says, a shield says, I will receive your arrows. I will receive your blows. Just leave my protected unharmed. And that's why it's described of him as a shield in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53.5, it's the shield who was wounded for our transgressions. It's the shield who was bruised for our iniquities. It's the shield who received the chastisement for our peace. It's the shield that got the stripes so we could be healed. And it all happened because of Isaiah 53.6, the Lord laid on him, the iniquity of us all. This is the glory. This is the willingness. This is the protection by the great Messiah. And communion, it's not for everyone. Communion is not for everyone. It's for only those who want to express their believing into him. And it should only be taken by those who believe into him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, our shield the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for his glory. We wanna see all that glory, not just a glimpse, not just the flash, not for a moment. We wanna see him in his full glory. Lord, we thank you for his willingness, his willingness to step forward as he did in the garden. And we thank you, Lord, for his words of protection, the shield that says, let these go. In Jesus' name, amen.